Hey guys, welcome to Hope It Helps. My guest today is a career coach, educator, author, and global speaker who has been working in the education field for over 20 years. She started by working as a teacher before transitioning to opening her own education coaching and consulting company and is now the career director at Dubai English Speaking School. She is also the founder of Hashtag Strong, which is a social initiative and YouTube show that focuses on speaking to people from all walks of life, hearing their stories, and providing youth with better role models that they can relate to and to encourage them to truly express themselves. During this episode, we discussed her experience working as a career coach. She shared with us the story behind her social initiative, Strong, and we talk about the importance of career education in reshaping the mindset of young students and society as a whole. Throughout her career, she has always believed that youth deserves the best. Her passion and dedication to supporting and guiding the students she coaches have been key factors to her success. And the last message she wanted to share with us is to keep your opinions to yourself when working with the youth. They don't need your opinion. What they need is your guidance and support. Please welcome to the show the career education expert herself, Ms. Maria Vitoratos. So, uh, guys, for people who don't know, me and Maria actually met at a conference a few days ago, the Empowering Minds event that all centered around mental health. And by coincidence, me and Maria ended up sitting on the same table and we got into a really deep discussion about, you know, mental health and, you know, mental toughness and all the things related to how we can start moving that conversation forward. Uh, and I also know that Maria is the um, ca- careers coach at Desk and she helps students, you know, with their careers and planning for the futures. So I thought especially now given everything that's happened this past year and students now looking to enter university the next year it'd be super interesting to talk to you because uh, i've spoken to people on the p- podcast before that were career coaches but this is that step before so i thought it'd be really interesting to have that conversation but for the people who don't know maria why don't you give all of us just a little bit of background about yourself and we'll take it from there all right well what kind of background are you looking for professional wise or sure all around yeah all around whatever you'd like to share <laughs> okay well Uh, I was born and raised in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and uh, was there for all of my childhood and then moved to the United Arab Emirates back in the late 90s and found my way through adulthood really on this side of the world. I started my career as a primary school teacher and then sort of carried on and did some professional development, trained as a coach working with family systems and working with executives as well, followed on and, and went on and became a qualified careers practitioner, which is rare to come by, especially in this side of the world. And I did that through uh, the university process. So it wasn't like a certificate that you do at random, which meant that the quality of research that we would have to do was that, you know, that level higher. And then I continued my education. I'm currently doing a master's of education uh, in leadership with the university out in Canada. So that's me as um, the person kind of behind the, the title, as you called me, a careers coach. When I'm not helping the youth with uh, careers education, and I'll talk a little bit more about why I call it that. Uh, I am the founder and leader of a social project called Hashtag Strong, and that came together after a family, a very traumatic family experience that led me to realize there was more depth to the work that I do with the youth, and I was only scratching the surface with careers education. When I'm not doing that, I'm also leading and founding the UAE Careers Community, 
and that is a community that brings together careers practitioners from across the country and it looks like uh, different parts of the world as well and the aim behind that project is to raise the bar and raise the standards of careers education not just in my in my institution here at Dubai English Speaking College but across the country I feel that careers education is really marginalized in secondary education and we need to start raising the bar and raising the standards so that we can be empowering the youth with knowledge skills and strategies that help them to begin to prepare for those future pathways and then of course when i'm not doing any of those things i am the mother to two amazing young children i have an 11 year old son and a 15 year old daughter I also had a 21-year-old daughter who passed away in late 2019. So that's me, I think, bringing it all together. Yeah. And first of all, thank you so much for sharing that story I, and giving us that intro. I really appreciate it. Uh, so before I dive into the questions, questions, I've, you said when you came here, you were a primary teacher at the beginning. And I looked and you were a teacher at Shui Fat from 96 to 98. Was that here? Yes, that was. That was my first teaching job in Dubai. That I just found that so funny because that's I was probably in, that's when I was in school in Shreifat as well. So I'm trying to remember. I'm like, did Maria teach me at that point? I wouldn't have known. I was about probably six, seven at the time. What grades were you teaching? Oh, my God. Are you trying to make your guests feel really super older? <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was a crazy coincidence. At that time, I was teaching uh, a kindergarten class. I don't know, maybe. Might have been me. Who knows? <laughs> this thought was so funny. Um, but I wanted to dive into, so your whole, like getting into the education field, you know, first as a teacher and then as a coach and so on. So my question is, where did that, where did this passion for like education come from? Was it something that you always had? Did you always know you wanted to be a teacher? Walk us through like how you ended up in that field. Actually, being a teacher was something I thought about doing when I was in secondary school. But um, when I applied to university, I didn't get into the program that I wanted to. And, and my second option that I was really excited about was doing social work. And I had done work experiences uh, in homes for domestically abused women. And I had, done, I had done lots of work there and realized that I definitely wanted to be working in helping, particularly in looking at family systems. So was teaching, you know, it was something that I thought I would do. It was one of those careers that, you know, when you talk to young people, there's sort of like a list of jobs that come to hand and teacher was one of them. So I think I thought about going into teaching because it happened to be one of those things that kind of made me feel like it would be a politically correct career and also very acceptable in my cultural background. And as well, like pretty exciting to be doing. I had no idea really what that meant to be a teacher. And I, I'm quite happy that I didn't get into that program right away because the program that I did get into allowed me to dip into different parts of, of work that I was really interested in. So for example, I did, a, I did a dual major in sociology and child studies. The sociology was to get me into my next step, which would be social work. And the child studies was because I was really interested in working with young children. Remember, I was interested in family systems. So working with young children meant that I was able to have those kinds of experiences, which brought me into working in a nursery school. And back in that time, 
um, nursery education uh, was something that some people did. It wasn't something that many people did. And it was really exciting for me. It got me to understand the, the pre-going to schooling years, the child development. And of course, it was a requirement of my program to do. But it was only when I moved to Dubai that I really appreciated having done that program. Because when I moved here, there was no such opportunity for me to go into social work. There was, there was nothing called social work at that time. So when I got here, you know, the, the other option was to become a teacher. And so I started that path and, and went into teaching kindergarten, which I was qualified to do because kindergarten at Schweifat was three-year-olds. And that was what my degree allowed me to do back in Canada. Okay. That's really interesting that it's it, I, like the, the story behind why you turned into, why you wanted to become a teacher is all about a social initiative. Like you care about, you know, young children and families, and that's why you wanted to get into that line of work. And I know you've been in the field now for quite a while, and you've probably seen hundreds of students over the years, you know, come and go uh, from, you know, just having that conversation with you probably at desk. And now who knows what they're doing at university and what they ended up doing with their life. So I was thinking when you and so you've been working at desk for five years now. And when you first started to where you are right now, five years later, what is probably the biggest lesson you've learned from your students throughout throughout that experience? Because I believe when you started that program or when you started the, that job, you had a perception of how to coach and how to teach them and so on. But now, five years later, has it changed? Or do you have a new perception on what are the necessary things you have to do to actually start coaching someone to choose their next career? What's important to remember is that um, to take you to answer that question, I have to take you backwards. When I, uh, when I left teaching for the first time in 2007, I left teaching a really lucrative teaching job at Rashid School for Boys. It was like a dream job. And I, I had incredible opportunities, a brilliant head teacher who was very growth minded. And, and so leaving that, I left it to open my own consultancy. And when I started that consultancy, I was working with family systems. So I was working with teenagers and parents from 2007 until 2015, officially and in isolation, using coaching as the, the major tool to, to the work that I was doing. And I'm going to explain what that means. But I was also an educator as well. So in being an educator, I knew how to create lesson content. I knew how to teach. I knew how to understand the process of educating young people. I knew how to kind of bring it all together. And by bringing in my coaching skills, I was now listening at a completely different level than a teacher can in a classroom. And that's just because of the realities of, of both different, of jobs being very, very different and the requirements for those jobs being different. So it's not that I started here at desk having never done what I'm doing. It's that when I was doing it before desk, I wasn't doing it on an official capacity for as large number of students as I was when I worked in my private consultancy. So back in from 2007 until uh, 2015, I was working with the youth. I was coaching families. I was coaching. I was doing careers coaching. I was creating events. We had a program called Teens Talk Middle East, and it was a YouTube talk show, and we put on three events. We had a careers event 
and there were confidence events. And those were bringing uh, interns from secondary schools across the country together and they were helping me start these events. And we were connecting with university uh, institutions in Dubai who were helping us by hosting the events at their universities, so on and so forth. So when I came to DESK, again, it, it, I mean, there's a story behind how I made it here. Again, another incredibly lucrative opportunity. DESK is an outstanding school that has a reputation that goes, you know, all the way back into, um, into the 70s. And there's a reputation to the school that's also, there's loyalty to the school. There are people all over the world right now that would know desk and desk because of siblings and family members and we're very known in that community. So by being given this opportunity to come, it was a teaching opportunity with in doing the interview, because of the interview, and you know that part of the interview when they ask you what, what you've been doing and, and you know how, how, you know, when they look at your CV and they say, oh, I noticed that you stopped teaching. What have you been doing since you stopped teaching? So it was in that conversation that we talked about Teams Talk and we talked about the work I did. And it was from that conversation that um, my uh, head teacher had, offered me the opportunity to start a part-time careers program. So my, I was not hired and I do not do university applications. That's not what I do here at the college. And that's what brings me to careers education. So I started this program that we call Death Careers. And it's a program that not only educates our students from as young as grade five, which is, you know, they're like, nine, eight, nine years old, all the way up to graduation in year 13, which brings them to some students leave and they're 18 years old. And we talk and we learn about careers education. We learn about employability. We teach official career education lessons five weeks a year. Throughout the year, I do things like uh, bringing in professionals to do professional talks like you would find at a university career service. I interview people from all over the world. COVID, which has been, a, a, you know, such difficulty for so many people, has also offered me so many opportunities to connect with professionals from across the globe, bringing specialties, bringing these specialty talks about different careers and different occupations. In, in doing that, I also am able to help our students merge the gap between work and studies. So, you know, I call myself a careers coach because when I entered this role, it was important to me that coaching was still on my job title because I wasn't sure that um, I would want to stay a teacher for very long. And I needed to know that I could go back into the corporate world and they would understand what I was doing, which was one of the challenges I found when I left teaching and started my consultancy. So that's why I, I kept the term coach. Am I a qualified certified coach? Yes, I've had incredible certifications and qualifications. But when I sit down and I talk about what I do, I'm an educator first and foremost. So it's careers education and coaching is the tool I use when I'm having conversations with the youth, with parents, with staff and with the community. Um, I think that's, I think, first of all, you've stressed this already a couple of times in the conversation, the concept of it's careers education. It's not, it's not 
telling you what you should do. It's educating you on what does a career look like? What are the opportunities that are there that you might not have considered? And I think what's really interesting is that you guys started from quite young, from like grade five to grade 13. I'm already being, someone's already talking to me about all these different things. I remember like in my schooling experience, this is when that didn't exist whatsoever. It was go to school, get the grades and so on. So we all talk about Everyone talks about like nowadays about finding, you know, your passion. And sometimes people, it takes them their whole life to find their passion. For example, myself, I only found out what my passion was a year ago, two years ago. So the question I was thinking about is how do, how could a 16 or 17 year old trying to make a decision on what career path they're going to go into, which even from a lot of people I know, you start, I studied, for example, business and finance. I have never worked a day in business and finance and I worked in sales. So it's funny how things work out. But how could someone at such a young age make that kind of decision? Do you understand what I mean? Like, how would how would they know? Like, I found out so later, so much later in life and a lot of people probably did too. I love this question. It's probably the number one question I get asked. And careers education is, it's like politics. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has, uh, there's, there's always a skeptic in the room and everybody, you know, kind of normalizes. Yeah, but nobody helped me. And I figured out like, why are we putting pressure on kids? And my favorite thing to do is remind, you know, any kind of adult in that formation time with young children that 20 years ago, we were using um, beepers. And for some of us who were lucky enough to have a mobile phone, you know, they were heavy, they were bulky, they weren't really things that you'd want to carry around. And yet today we're walking around with these really swift, smooth gadgets, right? So technology is evolving on every other platform. And why aren't we allowing the youth to have that kind of involvement in careers education? So I'm going to keep saying this word again and again, and it's important. That's where it all starts. How do we help the youth to understand their career pathways by teaching them and educating them on the realities of the world of work? Most young people don't even understand what their parents do when they go to work. Most young people won't even be able to identify what their parents do when they go to school and they go to work. So when we're talking to those younger students, we're not talking about work, about what do you want to do when you grow up? I don't even believe in that question. And it's actually one of my favorite talks is it's not what do I want to be? It's not what do I want to be? Sorry. It's what do I want to do when I'm older and not do in the shape of job title, do in the shape of what do I want to bring back to the world? And and that's my theory. And it's an informal theory. That's my opinion. But when I'm helping the youth, I'm educating them. We're learning about things. COVID right now is the classroom for life. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are. We're all learning something and it's by sharing these things. So as students start to get older, the service changes. I call the older student service more of a reactive service. So unfortunately, the tendency for young people to seek out help is when they get closer to applying to university. And that's a reactive service. It's almost too late to, um, to calm anxiety and help those students to discover. It's not even a discovery. It's more of a kind of calming them down, helping them lessen that anxiety and beginning to try and do exploration of the options available 
and helping them to understand that the world is their oyster and we're not preparing young people for one job. And that's another thing that's really, really important to remember. When I work with the youth, when I'm working with the community and helping other practitioners bring uh, quality to their standards of careers education, it's important to remember that we have to teach young people that it's not making the one choice for the rest of their life. It's where do I want to start and how am I going to get excited about that beginning? And then from there, the, big, the journey continues. And it is a journey. Anyone that you speak to, if you look at any of my interviews with professionals, we talk about the career journey, their story. Where did it start? How did it evolve? What are some of the changes they've made? So these are the conversations that we have with the youth. But like I said, the younger they are, the more of a discovery process it is. As they get closer to graduation, particularly in that final year when they're applying to university, it's a reactive service. So that's where you really need to support them with the things that they need. Yeah. And I think you made such a good point about different, like making the difference between or identifying that at, by that point, it is a reactive service. It's not proactive, which is why, when, as you were talking about earlier, your career program desk starts very early because you're proactively starting to educate them. So by the time they do get to that, they've been in that program for about 10 years, maybe. And then they, by that point, hopefully they have a much clearer, I guess, understanding of what they would like to do. And I think also a really good point you mentioned is not training them or like teaching them for one particular job, rather coming back to not what's the job I want to have when I graduate, but the why, you know, what's the impact I want to have on this world, like bringing it back to that, because that is what's gonna, that's what's gonna help drive whatever that first, like you said, it's not that final choice, whatever you pick to study at university, but it is the beginning. It's the first choice you made to start working towards that why that you're trying to get to. And I watched your uh, interview with Eric, and it was really interesting listening to his story from, like you said, you know, showing people how they started somewhere and ended up here. He started like as an working in investment banking, and now he's a, he's a careers counselor at. Uh, I, f I apologize if I can't remember the school. Yeah, LDR exactly. So it just shows you how there's no rules for this. There's no playbook. You know, you have to make a decision and then go with it. Um, but in terms of you said. Uh, university is the business of teaching people the skills to get you the degree, but not the job. And by that point, it's already too late to start having those experiences. I believe that was from the conversation you and Hitesh were having. So I started thinking, I'm like, okay, let's say... Sorry, I need to correct you. That That isn't my view. That, that was not my view. I, I don't believe it's never too late. I don't believe that it's ever too late. Okay. And this is what we have to remember. Okay. You know, it, remember when I told you about that journey and that process? Yeah. It's never too late. Everything is an opportunity to adapt and helping the youth to adapt is important. So by, by saying it's never too late, what I'm not saying is that when they're applying to say they want to go to university, you know, if they do want to go to a certain university and they haven't taken the required subjects or they've not made the grade level, it's, it's really, I can't say that it's too late. It's not too late. What I can say is that door, unfortunately, we need to look at door number two. So if that's what you want to be doing, let's look at alternative options that will take you to lead down that path. So you'll never hear me say to anybody, it's never too late. Uh, it's ever it, that they're too late. You'll always hear me saying 
it's not that you're late, it's that we have to choose a different pathway. Mm. And helping young people understand that there are so many pathways ahead. You know, there's not, life is not just one direction. I can go, and, and you'll often hear me telling children, you know, there's many ways to get into a house. And, and you know, why are you stopping at the front door? There are so many ways to get in. Why do we assume that there's only one way to a career pathway? But it's in, those, in reassuring those anxieties that really helps parents and, and their children. Because remember, careers, at, careers at discovery is not just the child and a practitioner. There's a whole family behind them. And for many of these young people, it's not just their family, it's their community. And it's that limiting belief. It's those societal beliefs that are weighing heavy on the whole family making those choices. Yeah. And I think, first of all, thanks for correcting me. I apologize if I messed that up. Um, I think the point you made about that there's not just one path. I kind of, I, so I have a younger sister, she's 16. So, um, you know, she's next year she has to apply to uni and so on. So, like, I keep t- talking to her about what you want to do, what, what do you think and all that kind of stuff. And what I kind of use a similar analogy to you in the sense that there's not just one door. I'm like, let's say you have a destination that you're trying to get to and you get in your car. There's 10 million ways to go there. Like, for example, Sheikh Zayed was busy. There's another way to get there. So it's not don't let that, you know, be the that, the block that stops you from getting there. But also I was thinking about is how do you let's say I'm a, I'm a student right now I'm 16 I come to you I'm like Maria I'm gonna be applying to university in two in, in next year what does the process of working with you look like what would be like the steps that you would take me through before I could I guess I guess get a better understanding or of the decision I should make or what I want to do that's a great question and I think what Uh, makes our program special is that it's bespoke and what that means is that there's not one way to um, take a student through so for me to say I do a b c d uh, it it would be wrong it really depends on who's in front of me and that's why you know when you're working with a careers practitioner you need to make sure they're qualified to do what they're doing there are many different fruits and vegetables in the world as there are many different career practitioners. Some are qualified um, by degree, but have very zero relatability with their clients or their students. Some are experienced and are incredible, but don't have a qualification to kind of build that foundation for them. And some have both. And, and By being bespoke, it means that the person in front of me, together with all my experience and all my qualifications, means that we have to really make sure I'm listening. So one of the first questions that I would ask a young person is, you know, what what are some of the challenges that you're facing right now in making that decision? And what brings you to this conversation? Because what I want to understand is, A, why they're here. Is it because they were forced to come or is it because they want to come or is it because they're really frightened about the next step and they didn't know where else to go? So by understanding that, we're already building that conversation and building a rapport with the young person in front of me. And then the second question I will ask is, you know, what are the kind, what are the subjects that they find the most interesting? Now, not because I believe a subject leads you to a degree, 
but because I want to understand the thinking process behind why a student would make those choices. And I want to understand what lights their engine, you know, what gets them excited, what subjects, because every subject has a transferable skill. So by understanding the transferable skills that they're most excited about, I can start to understand the types of industries and the types of work tasks that they would also find very interesting. And then there's many, many other things that I would do. But again, it depends on who's in front of me from offering them, you know, we can look at the subjects and branch out to different occupations. We can discover things. I'm a careers, uh, sorry, I'm a, a prism uh, practitioner, which means I'm qualified at doing more formal assessments. I also do very informal assessments. By understanding the theory of careers education, I'm able to talk about the, the different styles of assessments that practitioners might be using, talking about the history of careers education. So let's talk about the pioneer of careers work, uh, Mr. Parsons, who in the early 1900s brought careers education in, but more like a matchmaking assessment that was hel helping employers find the most ideal candidates for work. So by doing that, I'm able to show the person in front of me that, listen, what we're doing right now is so much more sophisticated than just sitting down and looking for a degree at university. And actually what we're doing right now has a history that takes us so far back and, and, and how this can help you evolve. It helps the student to understand that it's okay to feel what they're feeling and the person talking to me, I can trust, I can rely on, just like they would their classroom teachers. Yeah. I think you made a very good point about, I love that first of all, you asked them what are the challenges they're facing, just to get an understanding of like the blocks that they have or the limiting beliefs that they might have in regards to whatever they're trying to do. But also that when you ask them the second question about what are you interested in, because every subject has a transferable skill. I'm like, that's very true. I've just never thought, I've never thought of it so I've never thought of it in that way, but it, but you're 100% right. Every, everything does have a transferable skill. But I was thinking, so let's say, because this is, I think, an issue particularly here, and I think in certain cultures this can apply to, is that even if I came to you as a student, we work together, I have now an idea of what I think, this is why I want to study university, whatever it might be, uh, arts, fashion, whatever the case might be. Now, my biggest block becomes like you correctly said earlier, is my family. Because there's a limit, they have a particular perception of what could be, what success looks like and what degrees could help you get there. So if I've done all the work, but at the end of the day, my parents are, you know, have their limiting beliefs and that block that, no, this is not what you're allowed to do. You have to pick something else. What do you do then? Because I think that is potentially one of the biggest issues or biggest blocks that people might have or students might have in actually pursuing careers that or subjects that they actually might be interested in? Well, I, I can only talk about the program that we offer here. At DESK, I don't just work with students. I work with, with the staff, with teachers. I work with parents. And I work with the students as well. We bring in the community. It's, it's a, you know, the African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. So by educating our parents around careers education, it's important that we're not just helping our students begin to do this discovery and exploring. It's also in helping our parents. So it's not uncommon for me to have a student and their parents together for sessions. 
it's not uncommon for me to have calls alone with parents to talk about these things. And you'll see how active I am in the community with educating professionals and parents and community members. So that's why it's called careers education and not university advice. It's careers education because you're teaching and educating a new thought process. Traditionally, it was very, very different. It was university advice. If you talk to most schools, and by the way, I did this research, I phoned the most lucrative schools in the country inquiring about their careers programs. And we went from schools not having any to schools having a university advisor. So that traditional term careers is about relating to um, university applications. So you need to remember that we're not just helping students and the youth, we're also re-educating society in how we're educating young people around careers. So it's not going to happen overnight. It's a process. It's a, it's a process that's going to take time and consistency and, you know, eventually we'll all get it right. And that's why we're trying to raise the bar on, on the standards in careers education. Yeah, and I think I think you made a very good point that these things to change the mindset and culture of the community and society on a large scale is going to take time. But the programs, programs such as like yours, and now that all like more schools are starting to understand the importance of having some kind of person there to facilitate that kind of transition from high school to university in whatever capacity doesn't have to be as I guess as detailed as yours is a step in the right direction and it's not it's not and i'm going to debate so. you on that i'm i'm very passionate about this and i am playing devil's advocate all the time it is not enough it is not enough that we just put a person in a seat to do anything careers education is not just about helping one student it's about helping the world the happier we are the more fulfilled we are the more empowered we are with our careers the more we're gonna be able to give back to our global community. So when we're looking at an education system, we have to look at the entire education system in all of it, from every service that it provides under that roof. When we're looking at students and motivation, for example, so if we look at motivation and the, dri the driving factor, especially in secondary education, what is the driving factor to get a student to want to study, to want to do well? Because, I mean, all you have to do is think back to your secondary education and memorizing for assessments and sitting those final exams, right? But sometimes that's the last thing you want to do. And it's not something that you are very motivated to do by helping and ensuring that careers education is provided with quality and high standard you're now beginning to help young people understand and have an intrinsic motivation to want to study because it makes sense that I'm taking this subject. One of the most common complaints you hear from students is why do I even have to learn this? What's the point of learning this? True. A careers educator helps connect those dots. So I am going to debate and I am going to continue debating and that's why I have this community because it is no longer okay to blindly accept that anybody does this type of work in a school. It is important that the person that young people go to for guidance, especially with careers, has got to be somebody who's 
open-minded, growth-minded, and sees the connection, connects those dots. Because the last thing you want to do is take a young person and encourage them down the wrong pathway. They will suffer. They will probably drop out within their first year of university if they go to university. They will have mental health issues. We are starting to see depression on the rise in that age category bracket of 17 to 21 year olds. That is that pinnacle time in their life when we're pushing them down those wrong pathways. And then they leave university after either having you know, financial debt to take themselves through that university. And it's quite a heavy load on a family putting a student through university, whether it's locally or if they're sending them across the globe. And then they don't even do jobs that are connected to anything that they're doing. And in fact, they don't even understand the value of the degree other than the fact that they have a degree. So, you know, how do we change all that? We need to stop this idea of let's just put anybody in that position as, and that's a positive. It's not a positive. I would rather have nobody than have the wrong person in that role. Okay. I understand where you're coming from. I see. So just plugging that gap and not in the right way doesn't, in your opinion, doesn't lead to greater change. If anything, it could have a, a negative impact on a, on a student rather than a positive one. And all you need to do is speak to anyone that had poor career guidance and they'll be able to tell you. And most people will remember that poor career guidance. You know, if I go back to my secondary education, I remember who that person was. And he was someone who was like, yeah, I don't think, I don't think that's a good idea for you. And, 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 you know, although it took me longer to find my way, I found my way, but it's, it's always great to have somebody that at least believes in what you want to be doing and helps guide you down that way. Yeah. So now I'm not, they're not, I'm not here to judge. I'm here to support whatever your vision is and whatever you're trying to accomplish in a roundabout way. Okay. I got you. No, that makes a lot of sense. And you and Eric were actually talking about how back in 2008, those with the economic crisis and so on, there was so many people like who lost jobs and unemployment and so on and like entering university at the time and then trying to enter the job market. And I was trying to think, I'm like, that must have been a very difficult time for any for any young person entering, you know, into that that sec that stage of their life. But now, given this year with everything that's happened with COVID, I can imagine is just as bad. So, in your in your opinion, how would you compare the 2008 experience compared to now? Is it are we worse now, or do we have more opportunities now than we had then? How should we be thinking about it? Honestly, I think the common denominator in both is resilience, and I think it's important that regardless of, of what the economic crisis is, we're always, at, we're always at a crossroad of change. And at the moment in working with the youth, I'm also working with adults who have lost their careers and having to regain. Um, because like I said, part of the service is not just helping our students, it's also helping parents and helping community members. So the common denominator is resilience. And, and if I were to say, well, 2008 was better than 2000, I, I, first of all, I don't have the empirical evidence to back that up. So I won't even pretend to, to say that I could know. What I can say is based on my experience and, and the feelings and, and the experiences that I had, both in owning my own consultancy at that time and working with clients and working with students now and parents and community members is the feeling of losing your job is, uh, is a harsh reality. It's, it's hard. 
and any young person joining the job market at this time, they're going to find that they need that resilience. So we're seeing a lot of images of professionals where, you know, they show you what they were doing before the, the pandemic and, and what they're doing now. And you're seeing a lot of, you know, highly skilled uh, professionals who are now doing jobs that if you ask them to do those jobs after they graduated, they would probably say, no, thank you. But now it's about reality and survival. So it's all about resilience. And I think that's the common denominator. How are we going to stay resilient through challenge and change? But also, how are we going to adapt through challenge and change? And both, both 2008 and, and now with the pandemic, I see those things again. Helping young people prepare for that, it's, it's a time of growth. It's a time of really gaining skills, learning what your transferable skills are, and understanding how quickly the world of work can change. And we saw that. We saw that through this pandemic. We've seen so much change with new jobs being created and some jobs kind of filtering out. We've seen technology take, you know, a push. I remember before the pandemic, most of the career talks that I attended or was part of all had to do with the future of careers and technology. And suddenly in, in less than a year that we were living the future of what careers practitioners thought it would be. So. The only thing we can do to prepare young people is to teach them how to stay resilient and how to adapt to change. Globalization is also very important. We have to remember that it doesn't matter where you live right now in the world. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's where you will be working and that's where you will be having that career. Uh, remote work is something that we see very different right now through, through the pandemic. We have always had people working remotely, but now I think the, the, the numbers have increased. It's more of a common thing that you're seeing because of the pandemic. And I think the pandemic has made the world feel even smaller and made the world feel even larger. It depends on your perception. So in helping students understand these things um, also helps them prepare for the, the changes that lay ahead for them. So, Although I can't say which is better and which is worse, what I can say is what I've seen that they had in common. Yeah, and I think that's a very, very good point that that, that was the common denominator, sorry, in both experiences. The world flipped on its head in both, in, in both cases, but those, those are the kind of things that you need to start doing, teaching students how to be resilient, teaching them how to be adaptable and start adding skills because you don't know what how that skill is going to play out you know when you know in the future or, or how the future comes out and it's i thought it was really interesting that how last year you were talking all, all the events you went to were talking about the future of technology and education and now all of, and in this blink of an eye now i've been living through that experience i think it's super interesting but it's true it's a reality of things and i know you wrote a book uh, empowerment for teens and what i was thinking about is so in terms of, I was curious. In terms of the messaging, because you're, 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 it's targeted to, towards a different audience. Like if I'm trying to empower teens, compared to if I'm trying to empower a university graduate, or you know those career books or those productivity books. So the messaging is going to be different. So what was the key? What's the key difference between the two? Do you understand what I mean? Like how is how do I have to message to younger people in this way, and compared to how I would message someone who's a graduate or like a professional? Well, when I wrote the book, I wrote the book because I had a message. 
Um, my message is, what do I want to bring back to the world? Not me. That's my message to the youth. So it's, it's something that you're going to hear me saying if you saw me talking in public. It's something that you would have heard me saying if I'm speaking to grade five, you know, grade five students. And that's why I wrote the book. So I wrote the book around that message. The book is about getting young people to really begin to identify who they are and what they bring to the world and what they want to bring back to the world. So it wasn't a guide that was created to help you get to university. It was a guide that was actually written with the youth in mind, but geared at the adults or the guardians that would be supporting that young person. And if you look at the book, it's a, it's a really short guide. And in every chapter, there's some key questions that I bring to the chapter that kind of sums up everything together. So we talk about values, beliefs. We talk about the story we tell ourselves. We talk about, you know, if I look back at my life, what do I want to make sure that I've brought to the world? What are some of the things that I hope to do? Um, I think in one of the chapters, I even get you thinking about your obituary. What do you want people to be remembering you by? So it's those big time concepts in, and, and remembering that my audience of readers when I was writing the book was really the adult in mind. Um, because it's in educating the adults to have different conversations with their children or with their students. It's in educating them on how to remember that as much as technology is evolving, our conversations with the youth are also evolving. They're much more astute than we were when I was growing up anyway. They're much more up to date with what their rights are and what they believe they should and what they deserve to. And so they should. That's what education is all about. We're educating young people to be independent and empowered and, and have rich minds and, and thinking process written in really, really simple language. And it's, it's, written, it's written so that the reader is self-reflecting and, and learning about themselves as well as bringing it to their children. Yeah. And I think that's a very smart move to address it to the adult because, like you said, if you change their beliefs and their perception, and that's going to directly influence the conversations that they have with their children and so on. So it's that trickle-down effect. It's that domino effect. You know, you start big and then you go small so i think that's really it was a really good idea to address it in that way um and i wanted to come on to strong now i i've took a look at some of the videos and you've done a lot in quite a short in quite a short time so kudos to you on that i know how hard it is um and i know the strong came out of your experience with losing losing your daughter and it, this is as you said your healing process through this initiative and how to connect I believe it's young women to help them feel less you know less alone and to give them you know a purpose so I was thinking how first of all let's talk about how has that experience been for you in the past I think it's been a year two years since you've been running this uh, yeah no, well it's been an incredible journey uh it started really where it's February will make it one year old. It's a one year. I've only been in it for one year. Wow. It's a three year project. And it started uh, because I lost Danya. Danya committed suicide in October of 2019. And she was 21 years old. And the reasons for why she did it, we'll never know. There's lots of assumptions. But what we do know is that she was a very 
very, um, she was a very intelligent young woman that was obviously struggling with mental health issues and speaking to friends and teachers. They would always describe her as like the, the most vibrant person in the room and such a great person to be with, but always so concerned about getting it right and, and, you know, and really finding what she wanted to do and always being the best at what she wanted to do. And so in, in losing Danya, I realized if somebody like me who spends all of her time communicating with her children and trying to get her children to be emotionally open and ready to talk and still my daughter struggled with mental health and I wasn't aware of the depth of those challenges. You know, what's it like for anybody else? And so in order to break the barriers and to change the conversation and to really understand what's going on and how, how do we help our youth, I decided to start this, this project. I called it a healing project because we have to remember my first you know, my first public appearance was in January and I lost Danya in, in mid-October. And I kept getting lots of comments from people saying, you know, you're so strong, you're such an inspiration, you're so motivating and blah, blah, blah. And I was in survival mode. So for anyone that's never lost a child to suicide, what that feels like, it's, it's like somebody punches you in the face at such a, such a strength that you don't even see coming. And I had two younger children and, and constantly being told that I had to be strong. I had to be strong for them. My parents are elderly as well and they were devastated as was everybody. And I was kind of in this position where I couldn't, I couldn't show emotion because by showing emotion, it would unbalance everybody around me. But by not showing emotion, I was getting praise for being strong. So in starting strong, after beginning to hear people tell my 15-year-old daughter that she also had to be strong, I thought, this is just, I'm, I'm tired of this. You know, what are we doing? You know, no wonder the youth have mental health issues. No wonder depression is on the rise. We're not letting them express themselves. But in doing my research and looking at what's out there, I realized there's two types of, of uh, allowances in our world. There's the influencers who are allowed to be vulnerable and they're allowed to show their vulnerability and everybody puts them on a pedestal for being so brave and being so open and paving the way. And then there's everybody else, the everyday person who is too afraid to show their vulnerabilities, too afraid to show the realities of what it's like to be them. Because when they do, they get pushed to the side or they get told, I'm, you know, there's something wrong with you, you need help. Um, you know, everything is, is kind of like they, they're put in isolation. So I started strong because I felt that we needed to tell more stories about real people young people, and I see this every day in working with students and working with the community, young people don't hear enough stories of people's lives. They don't understand the journey of somebody's life. They look at someone like me or you and they see success. 
but what they don't see are those darker days on the journey of success. Nobody wakes up, you know, uber successful. There's always a process. There's ups, there's downs, there's moments of challenge, there's moments of celebration, there's moments of great confidence, and there's moments of deep darkness. Every human being will go through that, that journey of life. But we only show the best of the best on social media. You know, if we look at photographs that people share, there's only smiles, there's only happiness. We don't see the flip side. So strong is about interviewing people. In that first, in that first introduction, when I first started it, my daughter was female. So for me, I was a mom grieving the loss of her daughter. And for me, I felt that we needed more female role models. But then as the journey began and I started interviewing, I realized I had a son as well. And I was wondering, you know, how are we helping my, how am I helping my son? Yeah. You know, what am I doing to bring real stories for my son and also for my daughter? How am I making my daughter understand that, you know, men might have challenge as well and females might have challenge. So I then opened it up and started interviewing in season two, boys and men across the world. And it's going to be a three-year project. So season three is going to bring family, community, and it's going to bring the LGBTQ community together as well. I think we need to be sharing all these stories. And then in, in the, the end of the program, I hope to be traveling around the world and bringing these stories and creating proper lessons using these real-life people. And, and educating young people in schools around the world. So that's the hope for Strong. Did it start as a healing process? Yeah, it did. That's how it started. I was grieving. I'm still grieving. But, you know, there's a magic in listening to somebody else tell their story. And by doing that, you're able to understand, you know what? Everybody has challenge. And there's so much strength to be gained in listening to somebody else's story. There's so much opportunity to look at the other person and just say, wow, you know, I'm just, I'm just so inspired by the choices that you made in your life and how you've weaved through the challenges of your life. So if you look back at some of these episodes, and I am really proud to say that we have interviewed quite a number of people. And, you know, we're not even a year old as a social project yet. We also have young people interning and helping me build strong. And we have people around the world supporting me by sharing their stories. So it started because there was a grieving mom that just needed to forget about grief and, and learn about other people because she understood that we need better role models. And I, I, I mean, I mean no disrespect to any influencers out there. I think they have stories too that we need to share, but they're the exception. They're not the rule. And mm. it's important that young people understand that, yes, there will be Oprah's, there will be Steve Jobs, there will be, you know, Kim Kardashian's and whoever else they're following. But there are also people like you and me and the neighbor next door and the lady in the grocery store and the man at the dry cleaner, so on and so forth. And these are, these are the people that we're most likely going to be meeting in our lives on an everyday basis. So let's learn from them. They are our greatest teachers. First of all, 
thank you so much for sharing uh, that story w with us and with me. I'm honored and I really do appreciate it. Um, I So I watched the video where you, you know, the whole the Meet Maria video where you spoke about the story and whatever. And watching how, seeing how visually seeing how vulnerable you were was, it, for me personally, it was inspiring because it takes a lot to be that vulnerable, you know, especially on camera and to, you know, to the world side. So Res highly respect and commend you for that and like you said we need these we need these stories we have to start making things more relatable because they are i'm a human you're a human no matter what level of su success you have and no matter where you are in your life we've all experienced some struggle mentally emotionally physically whatever the case might be and we have to stop just focusing on the success. That's why I love what you do because you're talking about the story and that's what people relate to. It's the stories. I could tell you, yeah, I have one, two, three, but no, let me tell you about the time when I thought I had nothing and I was struggling and I was going through all that because that's what makes it relatable to you. Um, I'm curious, going through that experience with Dania, how now with your other two, with your two younger children, with the other two children you have, what did that experience teach you about or how did that change your experience or how you parent now your other kids? I'm curious. It's a good question. Um, but hearing you say that and asking that question also reminds me that I'm still in a place of judging myself for losing my daughter to suicide. So it's a really, it's a very um, tricky question to answer. Sure. Because if you were to ask me that, um, you know, before losing Dania, I would have answered that question very differently because I would have been the skilled practitioner who's also a great mother. And I would have answered that question. But because when you lose a child to suicide, you're constantly judging your parenting skills. You're constantly looking for why it happened to your child and what did you do wrong as a parent. But if I look at the, you know, the parenting style that I had before losing Dania and the parenting style that I have after losing Dania, I think at the core, it's the same style of parenting because I'm a good parent and I know that it's when I'm feeling really sorry for myself that I start to think maybe I'm not such a great parent, but that I think every parent feels that way. But what's made me very different is, is there's a fear factor. There's more of a, you know, how is this landing with my child? And, you know, am I making a mistake? I'm more cautious about the mistakes that I potentially could be making not because I blame myself for losing my daughter. And again, I don't expect anyone to even understand what I'm saying unless they've lost a child to suicide. If I had a room full of parents in here and none of them had lost a child to suicide, they'd all be saying, oh, you know, you should have done that or you could have done that or they might be sympathizing with me. If I had a room full of parents who lost their children to suicide, they would be saying, I feel it. I feel what you're feeling. I get what, you, what you're saying. So yeah. it's an understanding that, you know, how I question my parenting is probably what's different. And that's because I'm scared. And I think that anyone that has lost a child to suicide, I think we always will have that fear. But it's not because we think we're bad parents. It's just because we've seen 
something that, you know, I don't believe any parent should ever have to see or go through. Yeah. And that, I think that makes, first of all, that makes a lot of, makes a lot of sense. My, my dad has always told me because over the past year, you know, we've had some family members that passed away older and stuff, but he's like, Khaled, you will never understand the, the pain that will come with losing a child. He's like that for a parent is, you know, I, I could never, you know, I'm not even a parent, but I could never begin to understand what that feels like. And I think the change that you've made or not the change, the the awareness or the fear that comes with that awareness to just have that second question makes so much sense. Because, like I said, you're not a bad parent, but you know now what the, I guess, the worst case scenarios are. So it makes total sense to be that way. Um, Maria, I want to be conscious of our time because uh, I know you have a meeting. Um, so I have just two more questions for you. Um, this is a question I've been asking on the podcast recently, and I really love it. Um, first of all, looking back over your career or your life or the last 10, 20 years, whatever you might want to look at, what is either your proudest moment or what are you most proud of for yourself? Uh, the, I don't know. I think I'm most proud of understanding why I do what I do and being willing to fight like a lioness for the people that I do it for. Um, and it's that confidence. And it can come across as very arrogant sometimes, but it's because I know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And I know that the, the youth deserve the best and they deserve somebody who is willing to challenge the status quo. So I, would, I think I'm most proud of me having that kind of confidence to, to, to fight the status quo, because if I won't do it, who will? I mean, by me, meaning if a careers practitioner won't do it, who will? Yeah, I think that's a beautiful thing to be proud of, because I always say, or like my mission in my life, besides what I'm trying to do, like externally is I'm on a mission to understand myself, because I think you're your biggest worst enemy and you're the biggest block you have. So, so for you to have such confidence and understanding of who you are and what you do is an amazing thing that a lot of people probably don't have. And for the last question that I ask all my guests, Maria, is what is the message you'd like everyone to take home with them today? Wow, that's a good one. Um, what is the message I want everyone to take home today? You know, I think when, I, when I'm thinking about the answer to that, I'll think, and by the way, anybody listening, I, he did not tell me I was going to have to answer this question. Oh, no. um, <laughs> I think for me, it's, if, if you take anything away from what I'm telling you right now, is keep your opinions to yourself when you're working with the youth. They don't need your opinion. What they need is your guidance and your support. And if you're not the right person to answer the question, please don't, don't pretend that you know the answers. Reach out. There's a whole community of people. And I don't do it alone. And, and I, don't, I don't help the youth alone. I bring people together. So my message is, if you don't have anything to say to a young person that's going to make them feel better about themselves, please don't say anything at all. It's better to bring somebody else that can support them because there's already so much negativity in their lives. There's, always so, there's already so much self-doubt. They don't need our opinions of self-doubt to, to kind of put more in their pile. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful message and something that's, 
so important because like you said there's so much negativity around and if you don't have anything nice to say or supportive to say to a young person they're already being influenced by 10 million different things so you don't know what that comment could play how that could play in your mind their mind and what the outcome of that would be so i totally i love that message and i totally agree with it uh maria i wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show today this has been an amazing conversation i've really really learned a lot from you about how to think of education and schooling that I've never even thought of before. So I'm going to take all this and make sure my sister over there listens to it. So hopefully it helps her as well. And just thank you so much for your time. I've absolutely loved the conversation. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciated being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Guys, to everyone listening, I really appreciate it. And as always, hope it helps. Peace.